morning. We'd like to welcome you to church this morning. Please stand and join us as we continue singing our praises to God together. Oh, excuse me. Can I do my thing? Pastor would like to speak first. Sit down, please, for a moment. Uh, 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 This was awkward. Welcome. And uh, welcome to the Uhoten Academy students and anyone who wants to join us with them after the 11 o'clock service at noon in the community room. We have a major potluck with lots of food, lots of food, much international food. So if you didn't sign up and still want to come and befriend some of these folks that you see every Sunday, please, please feel free to come. It is good to welcome you, and I'm sorry, Amanda, Pastor just said, which time do you want to do it? Now it's the time, I guess. Okay, all right. I'm here to share both exciting news and a fresh opportunity for us with the faith promise for the next church fiscal year, which starts June 1st. First, of course, our God is great and he is faithful. The big news, the goal for the current faith promise year has been surpassed a few weeks in advance. In the last half dozen years, our church's giving for ministry outside our own walls has increased, and faith promise giving is, in a large part, uh, why that has increased. Faith promise giving is not really about us. It's about God's faithfulness. That's what faith promise giving is. In this insert in your bulletin, that's kind of what I'm trying to explain. So go ahead and take that out and, and look at it in there. It kind of says that faith promise giving is trusting God to supply above and beyond our regular church stewardship. In the next year, our regular church tithes and offerings goes to going to missions at home and abroad goes at the tune of $110,000. But some time ago, we knew that God could do more through us than just our regular tithes and offerings. So faith promise giving unleashed that. We do not have a matching gift donor to back us up. We actually have a generous God who supplies all the gifts. And it will be over $140,000 because of faith promise, and God gets all the glory. So if you'll notice in your bulletin, faith promise giving is about some tremendous front-line people who are serving as the hands and feet of Christ around the world. Our church supports dozens of missionaries. But this is a special team of those who serve our Wesleyan churches in places around the world. And you can see from Australia to Buffalo to uh, Asia as a whole and Sri Lanka and Haiti, you can see the team. They're amazing people and we get news from things God is doing, new Christians in Sri Lanka, uh, outreach to children in Australia to the refugees in Buffalo, even the Houghton campus students up there, uh, Steve and Ruth. Steve and Ruth are, uh, join Kevin and Cindy Austin as people who were actually a part of our church, who are part of this team. We call it the dream team. So we will receive these faith promises, and the reason I'm here, on May the 21st, two weeks from today. And you'll notice in there, there's a little tear-off uh, uh, part of the handout that you can use as something you can pray over in the next few weeks as God would lay and give vision in your heart to what he wants to do extra through you. I ad-libbed a bit in the first service, didn't I? Uh, but God has many stories of how he's, he's blessed us, and I'm actually encouraging you to send me an email or the church office of how God might have supplied in the last couple of years 
Money that you weren't expecting, a job you weren't expecting, a tax return you weren't expecting, something that God did just because you had the vision and the faith that God would provide it through faith promise giving. I love the statement of William Carey, the 19th century pioneer missionary to India, who said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And that's what faith promise giving is all about. So two weeks, God bless. Now you can go. Now we can stand. Let's stand and sing together.
so loved this sinful world His only Son He freely gave That whosoever should believe Eternal life should have I was a
Father, we come today because we believe that all of the promises you have made to us are true. There is not one single promise that you have made that has not, that will not come true. And we thank you. We bow in adoration and worship. We sing our praises to you. And we give thanks for who you are. What you've done for us, your son. Father, as we gather today, we come from a week that has been joyful and stressful. We come today with excitement and concern. We lay all these things at your feet. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers, for People who are struggling in this life. We pray for everyone who is grieving today. We think especially of Lori Dashnow and her family, the death of her father this week. May your comforting peace be upon them. We pray, Father, for uh, all who are struggling with health concerns. 
They, they are a variety of issues and a variety of things. We pray that your healing power would be evident and at work in every one of them. Father, we pray for our relationships. Some of them are exactly where we want them to be. Some of them are not. We pray that you would bring healing where there is brokenness. We pray, Father, that you would help us as we think about the future. Some of us sitting here today are uncertain about what the future holds and what the next steps are going to be. And we pray that you will give to us confidence and peace and wisdom. And give us a spirit of openness to you as we continue on our journey into the future. Father, we thank you for the ministries of this church and how we help one another and teach one another and connect with one another. And we thank you for that and we pray that you'll help us to be better and better at doing that. We pray for the churches around us. We pray for Christ Church in Cuba. Pastor Hamlin, may your grace be upon this body of believers that that they would be united together in you and that they would bear witness to you to their community and beyond. We pray for your grace upon our nation. We pray for your grace upon our world. Think about refugees. We pray to continue to help those who are refugees to find safe places to be and that the situations in their homeland would resolve so that they can return to where they really want to be. We pray for places of war and violence and ask that you would bring peace. We pray, Father, for your church. Pray for those who are preparing to go out on mission trips this spring and this summer. We pray that you would prepare every heart and every person, that you would bless every experience, that it would draw us deeper to you, and it would also help us to lead others into a deeper life with you. We pray for Stephen Ruth Strand as they work in Buffalo. Thank you for their commitment to the city. And as they work in, with a variety of people and a variety of organizations, may they sense you leading them, guiding them, and helping them to be your presence. And Lord, we, we cannot gather in this place in freedom without praying for our brothers and sisters who are many unable to do just that. We pray for Pastor Ko and his family in Malaysia. We ask that you would protect him in his captivity and that you would allow him to be a witness for you as you you work in his heart and, and give him strength and grace. And we pray that he will bear witness to your love to those who have captured him. We pray for his family, that you would give them peace. And we pray that he would be released and be home with his family soon. And we pray for others around the world who live, Christians who live in captivity. And we pray for your grace and protection upon each of them. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today, as you always do. Thank you for being present in our worship. Be glorified as we continue to worship you. And we ask all of this In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. Please stand for this morning's gospel reading. 
This morning's reading comes from John chapter 20, (coughs) verses 19 to 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship today. If you're going to be here over the summer months, um, we need a little bit of help with children's church and Sunday school. And you see a thing in your bulletin, there's a QR code, in fact, you can connect to, or there's a website as well. Uh, you can sign up. There are also some forms in the back. If you're going to be around, it would be a great way to serve, to help out with our children. Uh, I recognize that working with children is exciting for some people. It's frightening for other people to do that. Uh, we try to prepare things for you. As I was thinking about that, I was, I was thinking about you know the variety of things that tend to frighten us. And we all have, have fears. They may be different, but we're all afraid of something. I did a little searching this week about common fears. And the things that seem to come up regularly are things like the fear of heights, fear of flying, fear of falling. Seems to be a connection with all three of those. Um, Fear of the dark is a common fear. Uh, the fear of, um, of the only occupation I saw was the fear of dentists. So if you're a dentist or you're heading that way, I'm sorry. If, but that was the only one that tended to come up. And I guess you can understand why. Um, there's a fear of water. There is, of course, for many people, the fear of death. What's intriguing to me is that on these lists, death was always like fifth or sixth on the list. And maybe think about a, a little bit that Jerry Seinfeld does where he says that uh, he read a survey that said that, that the number one fear of the average human being is public speaking. And he said the second fear that people have is death. That's interesting. Death is number two behind public speaking. He said so... If you have to go to a funeral, the average person would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. (laughs) we, We all have fears. 
But you know, some of these fears are, you have these kinds of sort of external fears. And then there are the fears that are inside of us. The fear of failure. Fear of rejection. Fear of being abandoned, left alone. Those are the kinds of fears that, that keep us up at night. These are the kinds of fears that, that change our behavior. Because the reality is, so often, our fears drive us. Our fears have a lot to do with what we do and what we don't do. You think for a second about something you've been thinking about for a while. I, I'd love to do that. Why haven't you? My guess is it probably has something to do with some kind of fear. Something inside of us as human beings, we wrestle with fear. And, and often the fear is reality. And even if it's not reality, it's our fear. And so it's real. When I get up on the top of a tall building, you can tell me I have no reason to be afraid, but my knees are still weak and I still want to sit down. There's a physical reaction to that. And we all have these fears that we wrestle with. The problem is, so often these fears drive us. They drive our behavior. They drive our attitudes and our thoughts. You think about the the latest election cycle, and this has been going on for a while, but particularly this last election cycle, where if if you paid attention to the ads, if you paid attention to the speeches, most of the time... The the candidates were not talking about what they were going to do. What they were talking about is, if you vote for that person, life will end as you know it. Right? I mean, that's really what they're saying. And if you vote for this person, you are going to be in so much trouble. The world is going to fall apart. And they use fear to drive people voting for them. And we wrestle with fear about our possessions We wrestle because we don't want to lose them. We wrestle with fear about our relationships. And all of these things cause us to do things that otherwise we might not do. Fear is so, it is so challenging to us. And it so often drives us. And it also paralyzes us. There are a lot of things that we do not do because we're afraid. And the call of the gospel is, is to live, to not allow fear to drive us or paralyze us. If you were here last Sunday, you heard Will preach about the parable of the talents. And in that parable, Jesus, the master, commends two of the men because they took huge risks with what they were given. And he condemns the one servant because he was afraid. To take a risk. There is something very spiritual, deeply spiritual, about our fears and how they drive us and paralyze us. And when we come to this story in the Gospels, the story in John's Gospel, chapter 20, we get a scene of the disciples wrestling with their fears. We understand it. They just watched Jesus. Die on a cross. The religious leaders and the Romans have just nailed their leader, the one they believed was the Messiah, the hope for their lives in the world, the one who I think, if they could understand it, thought this is the one who's going to overcome them and conquer them. They just watched 
the religious leaders and the Romans crucified him. I think I would be locked up in a room too. Their fear is paralyzing them. And into that room that's filled with fear steps Jesus. See, they think the answer to their fear is to seclude themselves. They think the answer to their fear is to escape. And you know, that's, that's a common human response. We, we tend to, when we are afraid, I mean genuinely afraid, we tend to either, we tend to, to run to either fight, flight or fight. We see that in the animal kingdom all the time. I was out running the other morning and there were, uh, there were four or five deer in the field by where I was and they watched me until I got close enough and they ran. I suspect if I was out there and I came across a bear or a lion, I don't, hopefully we won't have lions here, but uh, you know things are weird now, but uh, I came across a bear they, or, or a, a rabid dog Often, their response is not to run, it's to, it's to show their teeth and swipe their claws. And as the church, we have a tendency to do that. We have a tendency either fly, to flight or to fight. We think if we can just run far enough away, if we can just seclude ourselves enough, if we can build walls that are high enough around us, we can protect ourselves from the things that we're afraid of. You think the Romans couldn't get through that locked door? I'm pretty sure they could. And I think in our culture, we have a tendency maybe, particularly in this, in North America, we have a tendency to do more fighting than than running. When we're afraid, when we feel fear, we say we're going to fight back. We're going to do to them what they're doing to us. We're going to take up arms. We're going to fight with all of our might. We have a right, and we, we want to battle. And, and we, we allow our fears to drive us to treat people in ways that, quite frankly, often are contrary to the kingdom. Now, there is a place for wisdom about running from danger. And there is a place of wisdom for standing up for what is right. But more often than not, it seems to me that what's driving our fighting is not love and compassion. It's fear. And there are a lot of organizations, even Christian organizations, that fund themselves, that, that get people's support by creating an atmosphere of fear. The problem is human beings tend to become what we spend time listening to and immersing ourselves in. And the fear that people are creating that they think is going to bring good things actually just makes us more afraid. And Jesus steps into this room and says to them, don't be afraid because the call because in the in the kingdom I mean God, fear is not of God. Fear is is not something that and we talk about we fear God, but that's talking about awe and worship and respect. That's not talking about paralyzation. That's a totally different kind of fear. But fear is not from God. 
Jesus steps into this room and says, don't be afraid. Peace be unto you. And in this case, I think the opposite of fear is peace. Relax. I'm here. And I think the remedy to fear is to see Jesus. John says that when the disciples saw Jesus, they were overjoyed. They've seen Jesus. Now, part of that was, I thought you were dead. And he shows them his wounds, his side. And he says to them, it's me. It really is me. And yes, I really was dead. I've risen from the grave. That tomb that you saw this morning that was empty, here's why. But there's something about the presence of Jesus, something about seeing Jesus that turns their fear into, into joy. And God gives us all kinds of opportunities. Even though we don't see the physical Jesus the way they did, we have all kinds of ways, the spiritual disciplines, to see Jesus. That's why reading Scripture regularly is so important. Because when we read Scripture, we see who God is. That's why prayer is so important. Because in prayer, we hear God speaking to us. And we have the opportunity to speak to Him. And we build this relationship. And we begin to understand more and more about who God is. And what God has promised. And what God has done. That's why worship is so important. The songs that we sing are reminding us of who God is. And what God has done. And who Jesus is. And what Jesus has done. We are reminded over and over again, and we sing these songs. And sometimes, I know, we sing them without thinking about them. And that's, maybe that's okay. At the very least, we're singing them. We're declaring these truths that we believe. And if you sing them enough, you begin to believe them. And you see Jesus. It's one of the reasons why I, I think it's important for the church to connect with the calendar, the church calendar. Every season of the church calendar, Advent and Christmas and Epiphany, Lent, Easter, Pentecost, every single season is connecting us to Jesus. It is revealing something about Jesus. And we keep repeating it every year because we have short memories. We keep repeating it every year because we have more and more fears, more and more threats against us. And we never get to the place where we see Jesus too much. We just never do. It's what it means to be the church. I mean, we, we are the hands and the feet and the eyes. We are the living presence of Jesus in this world. As we interact with each other, we interact with others, we see Jesus. Are we perfect? Not by any means. But we are Jesus to each other. It's a call of the church. But Jesus, it's not enough just for Jesus to appear in the room and for them to see him as awesome as that is. He has a word for us. And his word for us is, you can't just Stay here. Being here is awesome. It's important. It's necessary. It's significant. But just as the Father sent Jesus into this world, so he is sending us into the world. He's saying to the disciples, that those people you're afraid of, that threat that you feel, I'm going to send you right into their teeth. You're going to walk right into where they are. 
You're going to go out of this room and you're going to walk through Jerusalem. You're going to go to the synagogue and you're going to be my witnesses. And I have a feeling they looked at each other and said, "Uh, really? Yeah. The sending of Jesus is a call to trust him. It's a call to believe that the risen Christ is greater than any threat we face. It's a call to believe, to trust, that walking into the threat may well bring harm to us. It may well go bad for us. But Jesus is still greater than any threat, than any fear we are wrestling with. That is the heart of the gospel. And it's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so often, our remedy for fear is to circle the wagons. I've seen churches do that often. They say, if we could just seclude ourselves from the world, if we could seclude ourselves from the threats and the fears, then everything would be fine. And what we're really saying is, let's get to the place where we don't risk anymore. Let's get to the place where there are no more threats. But the reality is, there's always risk and there's always threat. We live in a world that, where the evil one has a certain amount of control. And Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they were against me, they're going to be against you. That is a reality that we need to accept. And the fears are real. Just read the book of Acts. The fears are real. Read church history. The fears are real. But Jesus is realer. There's no doubt about it. The fears are real. Jesus is more real. Jesus is greater. He has risen. He has conquered death. He's conquered our greatest enemy. Everything is wrapped up in that. And if he can conquer everything that evil throws against him, every single thing that evil walks into the greatest evil ever, and he conquers it, he is enough for us in our fear in our threats. It is imperative for us to understand that when we go out, you will notice that Jesus really only says, I want you to do one thing. Now, you find other passages where Jesus talks about other things. But in this instance, on this night of the resurrection, he says, I'm going to send you out and you're going to do one thing. You are going to be agents of forgiveness. I've been thinking about, you know, Jesus could have told them that to be agents of a whole lot of things. Agents of truth. To be, to be agents of his word. To be agents of, of all kinds of miracles. But in this instance, he says, I want you to go and you're going to do one thing. And you're going to be agents of forgiveness. And I think forgiveness is important in this setting because it connects to our fears. His fears are often about opposition. We are afraid of what people are going to think of us. We're afraid of, because of what people have done to us. We have fears of failure and, and rejection. We have fears of being abandoned. We have fears that are connected to the deepest parts of who we are and the deepest hurts and pains that we experience as human beings. And Jesus' response to that is forgiveness. 
You sort of would expect that from the one who's hanging on the cross and says, Father, forgive them. It's a lot of risk to forgive. People can take advantage of us when we forgive them. But our call is not to take, not risk-free forgiveness. It's just forgiveness. Forgiveness might well be the most profound outworking of love that's possible. Particularly as it connects to our fears. The difficult part of this passage is that Jesus says, if you forgive people's sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. And scholars have been debating this probably since Jesus spoke those words thousands of years ago. I don't have an answer for you of exactly what that means. But I do think it's important to understand that I think Jesus is not addressing so much individuals that I forgive you or you forgive me. I think he's addressing the church as a whole. He's saying, as my people, as the church, you go into this world, you walk into the teeth of everything that brings fear to you, and you bring a presence of forgiveness. And particularly for disciples who are going to be walking into places where the people they know are opposed to them. I think that idea is much easier to grasp in many places of the world than it is here. Because people, there are many, many Christians in the world, we pray for them every week, who face the reality of what the disciples are facing. But that spirit of forgiveness, and and we don't forgive sins. Only Jesus can forgive sins. But what we can do is look people in the eye and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. If you have ever had anyone say that to you, it is profound. When you've gone through something difficult, when you know you have failed and you feel shame and guilt and you've come in repentance and, you, and someone says to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. The effect is profound. We're not the ones forgiving their sins. Jesus is. We're just Sending the message. We're his agents. And I don't know exactly what he's trying to say when he says, if you don't forgive their sins, they won't be forgiven. Eugene Peterson translates that in the message and says, if you you do not forgive them their sins, what are you going to do with those sins? I'm not sure exactly where he got that from, but it does strike me as one of the things that may happen, that we may wrestle with, is that we're not going to forgive people because we don't think they deserve it. I'm awfully glad God didn't feel that way about me. Or about you. We never really deserve forgiveness. That's the whole point of it. It's a risk that God takes as we read this passage to that his church is going to be his his agent of forgiveness in this world. And that's why what Jesus says to them right before he says, I send you, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. That's essential. 
Otherwise, we're trying to overcome our fears in our own power. We're trying to be agents of forgiveness in our own power, and that will never work. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us, to give us wisdom and insight and understanding and patience and love and a spirit of forgiveness that we could never manufacture on our own. We will tend on our own. We will tend to either ignore things that people do that are wrong or we will, we will be nitpicky and petty about everything people do that is wrong. The Holy Spirit gives the ability, us the ability to do what's right. And to carry among ourselves as a church, to carry the spirit of forgiveness for people who are wrestling with it and need to know God forgives them. And maybe we forgive them too. Not because they deserve it, but because the Holy Spirit has has assured us of our own forgiveness and set us free. There's some speculation about the fact that John says the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples on the day of of the resurrection. And you get to Acts chapter 2 and Luke says the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples 50 days later at Pentecost. And scholars try to figure out the, the differences because neither one says anything about the other one. And I don't know exactly why that is, but one of the things I wonder about is that it's simply a matter of reminding us that we do, sometimes we have these extraordinary moments of experiencing the Holy Spirit, but the truth is we live in the Holy Spirit's power every day, moment by moment. And we need to experience the Holy Spirit not just once and then we're done, but again and again and again and again and again. Everything good we do is because the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And so we live in an an openness to the Holy Spirit every moment of every day, of every week, of every year of our life. And the minute we think we have enough of the Holy Spirit, the minute we think that we have arrived with the Holy Spirit is the moment we are in most danger. If we're going to be people who offer the kind of forgiveness that Jesus does, who is able to discern the ways of Jesus with people, we have to be open to the Spirit. And one of the things Jesus says about the Holy Spirit is that when the Spirit comes, He's going to remind you of everything I've said and everything I've done. And I think in the context of this passage, the primary thing that the Holy Spirit is reminding us is that Jesus has conquered. He's won. He's not telling us, well, that fear isn't real. He's not telling us that you shouldn't shouldn't have any thought about those threats. The Holy Spirit is saying to us, look at Jesus and live in trust. And you can trust him because his promises are true. You can trust him because even if you lose your life, God is faithful. Jesus has won. For the better part of the first half of the 16th century, Martin Luther battled all kinds of difficulties and struggles. He he started the the Reformation movement of trying to reform the, 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 the problems in the church. And that led to numerous threats on his life. 
He lived for a while secluded in the castle. He, he lived his life doing as much as he could for the kingdom. He translated the, the entire scriptures into the, in the language, German language for the, the people so they could read it. And, and he, he wrote theological treatises and he taught pastors. I mean, his life was just constant motion and effort and, and stress. And, and he became very discouraged at times about the fact that he, he wondered if he was making any difference. And, he, and, the, and the evil one would come to him and speak, speak fear into his heart. And he said the, the one thing that, that more often than not lifted him out of that was music. He talked about how music was from God, and therefore it was one of the greatest tools against the devil. And so he, he felt strongly about congregational singing that had been absent from the church for almost a thousand years, and so he reestablished it. And he began writing hymns for the people to sing in their own language so that they could, they could learn who God is and be encouraged and inspired by it. And Luther's most famous hymn begins, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And when you come to the third verse, he says this. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word, above all earthly powers, no thanks to them, abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. So, let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body, they may kill. God's truth abides still. His kingdom is forever. Amen. We'd like to invite our ushers forward to receive our tithes and offerings as we sing together our praises to God. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the Prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us more. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel names. On earth is not his
striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. You ask me that maybe Christ Jesus said it's he. bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.